0: Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. Like many other incredible business stories, this business starts in a basement. Four frustrated mums, tired of losing their children's belongings, spotted an opportunity to serve not just themselves, but parents everywhere. Their solution, labels. So in today's episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Julie Cole, mother of six and one of the incredible co-founders of Mabel's Labels. Julie built this business with three family members before exiting in 2016 for a handsome $12 million. In this episode, we'll dive deep into what it means to have four co-founders in a business what it's like growing a baby products brand from the ground up, and what led them to finally exit the business. We also talked about the importance of good communication and Julie shares her most important tip of how to manage things when times get tough. If you've ever had to struggle through some tough times in business, you'll wanna pay extra attention to today's episode. I had an absolute blast chatting with Julie and I can't wait for you to soak up her incredible story. Enjoy. Hi, Julie, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Simon.
0: My pleasure, indeed. Um, You're dialing all the way in from Toronto, so you're obviously on a bit of a late call here, so I appreciate you making that effort. Um, Pleasure. Yeah, Julie, I know we're going to get to talking about your business, Mabel's Labels, which I know you built up and ultimately exited from. Um, Maybe we could start with a little bit of your background and kind of what led to maybe that's you starting that business
1: yeah for sure so um Simon it's interesting I never thought I'd be a you know professional label maker but you know life takes its turns I uh, first of my undergraduate degree and then I went to grad school and then I ended up going to law school and in fact I was an Australian because Daddy o is an Australian and he ended up we met at NYU when I was doing my master's and he was doing his MBA so then we landed in Perth he had a job uh, there and I was studying. Um, and then we were in Melbourne for about three years, and I had three kids there. And uh then we came back to Canada. And you know, it's funny, I was I was going to be, I thought I would be doing sort of legal aid family law for the rest of my life, but as it turned out, my eldest child at the time uh had just turned three. And I always say when you start a business, you need to know your why. And I had a couple of whys. One was that there was a product missing from the marketplace, and the second was that my kid Mac who uh, was three at the time, was diagnosed with autism. And I really didn't think the traditional workforce was gonna suit me any longer. So I wanted to, um, yeah, I wanted to kind of leave, exit that. I didn't think law would be the place. I wanted to be able to advocate for him and, and set up a program and a therapy session. And he already had two younger siblings. So it was already getting busy around here. Um, so that's when I went to my co-founders and said, hey, we've been talking about this idea now I have a reason that, you know, it's just not going to suit any longer. What do you guys think? So we started and that's over 20 years ago now. Um, and uh, I, yeah, that's uh, just there,
0: you, you, your co-founders you mentioned. So how many co-founders were there?
1: So there are four of us and actually we're all related. So there's funny things about that too, when you exit a company, right? So yeah. there are four of us. Uh, we went to uni all together and one is actually my sister. One uh, was a friend of mine who met my brother through me and my sister and married him. So she's now our sister-in-law. And one actually is a friend of ours who met we have a young uncle and she married him. So she became her aunt, even though she's younger than me. Um, so <laughs> that's, uh, that's how it all happened. And so wow. not only were we four co-founders, we were four relatives.
0: Yeah, interesting. And so it sounds like you'd been talking about this business idea for a while before you kind of found that trigger or a bit of motivation to do it. So how long had the idea been brewing?
1: Uh, It had probably been brewing for a couple of years. I mean, we were all sort of young moms and we were tired of losing things and there wasn't really something available. And so we thought there's got to be something out there and there really wasn't. We were in North America and there was nothing that. So, um, you know, as good entrepreneurial moms are, we went and started doing our research and our development and we created this product that has become a very, very loved brand um, for for parents ev- everywhere because we're web-based literally everywhere.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, as a parent, I can relate to the idea of kids losing stuff and <laughs> my two boys are in high school now and the school just has this policy. If you come to school without stuff or you've lost stuff, you go and have to buy another one. And so the parents yeah. are all like, don't lose your stuff. No, up in
1: arms. <laughs> well, you know, that's why we said it's kind of it's kind of a cheap insurance policy. If the stuff ends up in the lost and found, it will come back to you. So, But it was, I mean, it was tough in those early days, right? Like, so it was, you know, a lot of the co-founders were either on a mat leave or working. Kids were in daycare and juggling a lot. And, you know, we were making late, like making labels in my sister's basement from 9 p.m. after kids went to bed at 8 or whatever until 2 a.m. and then getting up at 6 a.m. with kids and doing it all again. It was – I always – I always say that people have a tendency to really romanticize entrepreneurship. And they think, oh, it's going to be all like TED Talks and book deals and, <laughs> and speaking engagements. And really, it looks a lot like making labels in a basement until 2 a.m., right? Like there's no like putting the kids to bed and pouring a glass of wine and watching Netflix. It was yeah. not that at all, you know. So, And I have six kids, so it just was constant oh, mayhem. Yeah,
0: it's, it's funny you say that. I've got a friend of mine, she um at, a, at an awards dinner. For, for business owners and entrepreneurs and she got up there and said you know shout out to all of you in the room I might be getting this award but you know you're a crazy bunch of bloody people. You're the only kind of people yeah. in the world I know that quits a forty-eight a 40 hour a week job for an 80 hour a week job for half the pay. So you know, well yeah. done to you.
1: <laughs> and you know, people say, oh, it'd be so great, you know, not to have a boss. I'm like, I feel like I just have more bosses. I have my co-founders, I had, you know, customers, I had suppliers, I had employees. I'm like, the sound of one boss sounds pretty darn good right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so tell me, you said you're, you're creating the label. So I, I, I guess I had a couple of quick questions in my head here was, first of all, did you all, when you decided to start the company, did you all have to put in a little bit of money to start with? Was there any kind of discussion and agreement about that type of thing?
1: Right. So um, interestingly, and this is very typical of women entrepreneurs, we're not, you know, especially mom entrepreneurs, we're not... Um, you know, it's not common to go to banks and look for, you know, angel investors. We tend to, you know, go for love money. Do our parents have anything they want to invest? Do we have friends? Or we just really went deep in our epochs, found, you know, some buttons and pocket lint and and a few coins and scrap, you know, pieced it together. So we were, the startup costs were not ridiculous. We were able between four of us, that's the other advantage of having co-founders is that, you know, you're spreading out the risk a bit. So it wasn't just me investing those guys were investing too but then to to, to the point of this call to this podcast eventually when you do sell you have to split that too (laughs) you only get 25 percent. but um yeah so i mean i think you know one of the advantages of having co-founders in those early days for sure was um was being able to spread out the risk and share the share the costs yeah and share the workload and share the workload, you know, we could divide and conquer. Like I didn't have to do all the things as you know, like solo entrepreneurship can be very lonely and we had each other. And if one of us like, and just had a baby or one of us had something going on at their other job, the others could step in and, you know, we didn't have that lonely experience of entrepreneurship, which 20 years ago was particularly lonely because there wasn't, there were not podcasts, there was no social media. There was nothing. You literally had to go to those annoying wine and cheese networking like
0: groups and stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? Remember those? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, uh, The other day I had a, uh, a client come to me and wanted to exit their business and sell, and as I started to sort of scratch the surface a little bit, I realized there was two partners. They were 50-50 in terms of the shareholding, but the chap I was talking to was basically the one working full-time in the business, and and he felt there was a sense of it was unequal it was uneven he's I'm doing all this work I'm building value for you but like and so did you ever you know I guess the one concerning thing about you know and I've had a lot of guests on this podcast they go into business with friends or family or whatever it might be and it all sounds lovely until you have to have a difficult conversation and I you know without putting you on the spot though but did, did you was there ever any of those kind of moments where you go oh my god I have to have a difficult conversation and these are family members as well
1: sure i mean we from the start had to really manage that because you know we also have a family cottage together and you know you have to be like okay the boardroom one conversation happens but you walk out you have to be like okay are you bringing the potatoes thanksgiving or who's taking the kids to you know that birth cousin birthday party you have to be able to do that and you really have to be able to separate that and that's easier for some people and harder for other people so i think really understanding each other's communication styles and realizing that that you know some people like i like I deliver information and like information delivered to me very succinctly. I don't get offended, just abrupt. Um, where some people, you know, they need to hear a few good things about them first and then, and then they need to get the feedback. Um, so you need to really understand how each other communicates and understanding your communication styles will help and you're going to screw it up. And then you know what, you're just, you're just practicing. But Simon, like, honestly, the best thing you can do is just get that shareholder's agreement in place while you're all still friends.
0: Great advice.
1: Take care of that. Don't be having that conversation of, I've been putting in more work. I'm put upon. You've been a silent partner. I've been, like, all that gets baked into that separation agreement. Because if you think, like, marital divorce is tough, you should try business partner divorce.
0: Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And uh, look, any kind of divorces can be ugly, but it's just, yeah, it's... You're right, I've, I've, I've seen the best and worst of it in terms of the approaches and it's... Right. Yeah, you're right, it's much easier to have a conversation up front when you're still friends and you can sort of discuss things in theory about, well, what if something happened, you know, <laughs> rather you than... You know what, oh, it's shit. always
1: exactly like to hypotheticals, but also it's really great if you can get somebody to help facilitate that conversation or to draw that stuff up because sometimes you just need that outside voice. And honestly, Simon, like we came from... You know, another advantage of having the four of us is we had four different skill sets, four different education. So we brought a bunch of different skills to the table. Business was not one of them, not an MBA between us. So, you know, being able to get your right people around the table who are advisors, like get yourself an awesome accountant, an awesome lawyer, fill your gaps. Don't hire people who are like you are just going to feed your ego Get people on the bus who are going to fill gaps that you don't have. And that's particularly around communication. And, you know, we did a, when we started hitting a few bumps and, and, and hurdles along the way, we ended up getting a business coach for the team, like the four of us. And he came and facilitated, facilitated every, um, every meeting and just, you know, was able to provide some background. He had coached bazillions of businesses. So, I mean, we had only had the one. So being able to get that kind of perspective was very helpful as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And and talk to me a little bit of like, okay, you started out, you're in the basement, you're making labels. Um, what, what did that kind of, what did growth start to look like, you know, the first couple of years and, you know, you, you no doubt, obviously you saw a lot of progress, but um, yeah. Yeah, what were the early kind of growth years like?
1: Look, it's always scary. You know, that's, I I remember just thinking like whenever I would like drive by a shop that had closed down, I had this whole new empathy around, oh my, I know how much you put in that now your shop is closed. And you put so much sweat, equity and financial equity and emotional, like all of it, that it is really, you know, it is really scary. But again, to the to the advantage of having partners when I'd be like, oh my God, guys, we're never gonna do it. It's never gonna happen. They'd be like, we got this. And when then when one of them was having a mental breakdown about it, we'd be like, oh no, we we totally got this. So we we're able to rally, rally the team. We did have some early indicators that things were going to look good. Look, the product was very well received. Moms, our market, very word of mouth. You know, they were talking about this at the daycare drop off, the school soccer games and all the things. And then once once social media hit, like our, yeah, oh, the moms own it, right? The moms all were mom <laughs> bloggers and Facebook pages and this, like, and it was a, such a vehicle for word of mom for us. So yeah. that was, we were very early adopters. And that's why we have like over 200,000 Facebook fans and not that, that's not, you know, Insta followers and all that jazz because we've built a community. I've been blogging for 15 years, not about labels, but about, Raising six kids and running a business and giving my tips and tricks of a mom of six and doing all that jazz. Um, because moms also want to buy from companies that they relate to.
0: Yeah. So absolutely. knowing knowing
1: your market, right? So I gotta know your market. And we were our market.
0: You were your market, exactly. I was we I was were actually going to say it must have been good to be able to shortcut the uh the product market researching phase, but really with six kids, that was not a shortcut at all. It was
1: I know it was a long cut,
0: <laughs> uh, but that's great. No, I, mean, I get it. I think it's uh, you, you know anyone who's had kids and has been around daycare centers and mothers' groups and all that sort of stuff, you kind of see how it how it actually works. And
1: for sure, so we did have. I mean, we were in that basement, and it was pretty dodgy. I got to tell you, like. I remember once we, um, you know, once we had a couple employees, I was like, I'm sure we're breaking labor laws here. We need, so rather than getting a commercial space at that time, we told my sister to buy a bigger house with a bigger basement and she did. (laughs) So that's where we went and we thought we'd be there five years and no, we only lasted two. So now we're in, you know, a 20,000 square foot facility with 60 full-time staff and, you know, that swells our back to school season is pretty, you know, remarkable. So right now, you know, we're running, we're making labels 24, seven kind of thing. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of fun.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And, and, Did you, as a family, as co-founders, was there a conversation, obviously there was a conversation at some point, but was there a conversation early in the piece around exiting the business or was it just, hey, we've got a great idea, let's see where it goes?
1: Right. Okay. I think that is a really good question because we didn't really have that conversation. I mean, you know, when you're busy with a startup and raising kids, you're just kind of like, you know bootstrapping you know feet on the street just trying to get these labels out the freaking door right so but I, I would say though, my the advice I always give people is that, and it does I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but you know, you do need to understand what your exit plan is. Because if you're going to run it like a legacy business and pass it along to your children, you're gonna manage it differently than if you're going to, you know, get an acquisition and, and exit that way. So they can look very, very different. So you do wanna be thinking about those things. And the other thing too is that. Sometimes failures for winners, like, you know, like if you do your business plan and things aren't trotting along, like if it was still 2 a.m. and it's 20 years later, and I was still making labels in a basement, that's a huge failure. You know, like if you're that far in, you need to be just going back. I always say business plans shouldn't be gathering dust. You should be blowing them off and like checking and, and, and making changes. Um, because sometimes there is a right time to exit and be like, you know what, I got to cut my losses and move on to the next thing. So, you know, like I said, quitting can be for winners um so we didn't really think about it um and we just were very much i think getting by but that would be the advice is like have some sort of idea about what you want your exit to be because then you will manage your your business better
0: yeah and i, th- I think too that certainly in my experience anyway is that you know no plans really go to plan right or certainly no plans right. survive the first day of battle even and so I've just seen so many business owners who had an idea of what their business was going to be and how their exit would look like. And um, certainly, I think this this idea of handing it down to the next generation and bringing the kids into the business, I, I see a lot of founders who romanticize that idea. And of course, we're now in a time where we're more educated and more wealthy as a society than ever. And the kids go to better schools and they get to have more opportunities. And a lot of kids don't want to do what you do as a parent. Well, and right.
1: And I don't even know if I want to put that pressure on them, right? Like yeah. it's like for them to like be like, oh, well, I'm just going to do Mabel's Labels. Like I don't even know if I want that being an option. I definitely want – I actually have some very smart entrepreneurial friends in Australia Um uh, my uncle Tony Costa who um, the fruit and veg people out Geelong way yeah. and you know we've seen you know it was very remarkable watching Tony and his. he started with his four brothers one obviously died in a crack some years and years ago and then the next generation and the next generation and you you see you know, the struggles, I mean, they were very good about it. all their kids swept that shop floor. All of them had to get educated and work elsewhere before coming back. They put things in place. But you see these things because with family businesses, I mean, I think traditionally, and they say first first generation uh, starts as second and it, generation builds it, third generation kills it. Is that what they say, Simon? I think that's, yeah.
0: yeah. It's it's funny how often that happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And well, that's, that's because also, I mean, you got to think generationally, if you, if you start a business, then your kids actually have experienced some privilege.
0: Yeah, totally. If
1: your business has succeeded, like I, you can see this. So you want to also, you have to make sure that you're instilling that work ethic and that you're not giving them too much. And you're not, there is, I, I find this with entrepreneurs. You really need to manage your children. If you want them to be good workers and instill that, then stop giving them stuff. Like yeah. stop it.
0: Make, make them feel Stop hardship. making it
1: easy. Exactly. Yeah. Make them sweep those floors.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's, it's funny, I had a, the same discussion with a good friend of mine who's very successful in business and 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 he's still grinding, grinding, grinding. And I'm like, what, what, so why do you work so hard? Like it's, and and I was getting to the point of him, he's proving something to himself almost. I'm like, mate, right. when is enough enough? Oh, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to set it off for my daughters. I'm like, mate, don't rob Make your Make the daughters.
1: work. Yeah, 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 don't
0: rob your daughters of an opportunity to face hardships and have to solve problems themselves. Like it's, you know, you. I you're tell my kids all the
1: time, failure is a gift. The yeah. lessons you get from failure. So you know what? It's, yeah, it, it's okay. It's really okay. Yeah. But that's a whole parenting segment and entrepreneurship I can <laughs> talk about. That's a whole other totally. podcast. Totally. But, but you know what? Speaking of privilege, I do want to, I do want to hit this quickly only because, um, you know, you talk, you know, you mentioned like serial entrepreneurs and things like that. And I think, you know, people are always like, Oh, Julie, you're so brave. You know, you left a lucrative career to do this. And, and I really don't think so because at the end of the day, I could leave my career because daddy made enough money for me to, be able to do that. And us also pay for therapy for my son. I mean, I see like single moms out there who are working two jobs and also trying to do a side hustle. I'm like, they are the heroes here. And, you know, yeah, so then I sell my company. So guess what I have then? A lot of money. And guess what I can do then? Start another business. Totally. I, the stakes are not as high for me. Wealth begets yep. wealth. So I always just like to remind people like, hey, before you made me a hero out of this, it was coming from a place of privilege. So I'd like to acknowledge that, Simon.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, hey, and, and, and yeah. there's no denying you took what might have been an advantage and did something with it, and that's to be to yeah. be recognised and applauded. But hey, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think to be frank, I think even just being born in this country in Australia or you're 100%. in Canada, like you, you've already you've already won the lottery, right? Like it's you, right? you have opportunity far more beyond most of the world. Um, and and, and look, then and you add
1: it and then you add things like you know my parents were really good parents, and yeah. they. Supported me and, and them they, them so of course <laughs> them, I had two of them and they, you know, and they they, they were both educators and valued education, yeah. so sent me off and and then I had good self esteem, so I wasn't with a dude who was a loser. Like there's so many things, right?
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but again, we we digress. Yeah. Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> you know, but I, I, I think it's great to be able to acknowledge where you've had a leg up and where your things have worked for you yes. and, being, and being and having gratitude for the things that that maybe you didn't have to fight for and struggle for right. and whatever else. And, you know, I'm I'm ever cognizant of the fact that throughout my life, I've always ended up with some kind of mentor in my life, not because I sought them out, but because they decided to help me. And, and I look back and I always think, you know, and actually one of those gentlemen who's now passed, he was like a father to me. And I said to him, you know, I don't think I've ever sat down and said thank you to you for just everything you do. I mean, you say thank you for things in the moment, but like, Wow! Thank you for everything you've done for my life. Like, and he's like, "Don't thank me, God. Go and do it for someone else. That's the point." Like, right? Love someone? it. You know, like love it's it. not about paying back or saying thank you. So, yeah, I think I think that's important. And hey, that's that. why we're on this podcast, right? Is we exactly, want to share. and I'm
1: like, look what you're doing. You're doing exactly what he wanted you to do: sharing yeah. the voice of entrepreneurs to help other entrepreneurs. Love it.
0: Hundred percent. So yeah. All right. Let me change gear a little bit here because you've, okay. you've started this business. You've come from this really cool kind of headspace of knowing your market and knowing how, what your clients wanted. You've, you've built a business. What did it look like from when you, you started? Obviously, you sold. How, how long was that period?
1: So we were uh, in business 14 years.
0: Yep. Cool. So you've seen a few cycles.
1: Yeah, yeah, it had. And it's funny, you know, because to your point earlier, you said, you know, were you planning to sell? Were you, What were you going to do? And for us, we actually weren't even planning to sell in that moment. But we got a call out of the blue from Avery, which is owned by CCL. And, you know, Avery, big label company, but didn't do what we did. And they just said, hey, can we go for dinner? And we we're like, hey, can't hurt. So we sit down and have a conversation with them. Okay, let's keep the conversation going. That was July, and quite frankly, Simon, it was quite serendipitous. Like the the because at that moment too, the four of us were kind of running as co CEOs, and it was getting a bit sticky. And we were kind of like that four headed horse. And and some people wanted the company go in this direction, some the other direction. And and you know, I know I felt that. I think we need one CEO, and I think it has to be an external hire. And then, you know, some of them are like, well, maybe I could be the CEO. CEO, and, You know, that's awkward. So, you know, there are there were lots of things going on. And then we thought, oh, well, maybe it's time to get investment if we really want to take it to the next level. So when we started having the, the conversations with Avery, we kind of were warming up to the idea and being like, look, we needed to do a shift. Maybe this is it. You know, and my sister was like, we've been doing this for 14 years. Isn't this the dream? Build it, scale it, sell it. Like, come on, we got other things we could be doing too. Um, so, you know, these conversations. in the end, we got there for a couple of reasons. One was that they were not going to change our brand. We're still in the same facility. We're still Mabel's Labels. Our people still work there. Like it's, it was the same. They know better than to acquire a company like ours and then make it Avery because what we had was this very strong brand so that stayed the same so that was one thing we wanted we liked we also liked that ccl who's the parent company of avery who owns us in the end is actually a canadian company um but also to a point i made earlier with four of us the price tag had to be right because we only got you know a quarter of the piece of the pie so what were we all us deciding on what we were comfortable with but as you know. You know, when we get to the price, we did our EBITDA times, whatever. But here's the thing, Simon, when we because we weren't planning on selling, our EBITDA wasn't great that year because we had spent $100,000 on a website. We bought some new equipment. We were doing a building year so that they were going to, so we would benefit two years later from the investments we are making now. So when they originally threw a number at us, we're like, whoa, 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 hold on we are EBITDA isn't strong if we are planning to sell we would not have done what we we're doing and they understood that and okay. respected it and gave us the number that we needed to get to so we got to yes but i would yeah i would advise anybody else if they are planning on listing or marketing to sell they want to make sure that that EBITDA is very strong because that's how you determine basically how much the company's worth i'm sure you've spoken about this many times yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, yep. can I ask a, probably
0: more of a personal question? I guess, but but, yep. Did you did you go through much of a process to work out what number was important to you?
1: Um, yeah, I think I think we figured out what the company would be worth, um, and then we had a we could only take this because yes, it gets divided by. I mean, it sold for twelve million.
0: Yep. Cause nice. we were
1: like, we got to walk away for like, uh, you know, we need 3 million each to walk yeah, away. Yep. Cause you know what, at the end of the day, I mean, this sounds gross, but it's not a lot of money, you know, when you have put that much time. And of course for a long time, we weren't paying ourselves very well. And you know, everything we earned, we we're putting back in the company and yada yada yada, six kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, that was kind of our, our number that we could all walk away with that and feel, feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and so and obviously yeah. you've, you're uh, having four people. Family can be a strength; it could be a negative in these scenarios. But to have four of you sit yeah. down and have to agree on a number, it's just yeah. more complexity, right? So I think clearly you've come out the other side. You've done, yeah, yeah, you've done that.
1: But again, I think Simon, like a big part of that was sitting down with our like like our friend mentors, like our friend tours who are like our lawyer and our accountant, and them to be like, girls, this is what you really are worth. This is what I think you can push for. And the other thing I would highly advise, advise and you've probably mentioned this before, is that um, we got somebody, we got an outside lawyer who specializes in these negotiations to do this for us. And it was worth every cent because not only did it give us like more get us more money and negotiated properly the other thing business owners need to consider is that often there's a condition for you to stay on right like i just stay on for a year you don't want to getting a pissing match with the person who's going to be your boss for that year or three years or whatever you sign on for right so you want to stay everybody stay friends and friendly so have somebody else being the go-between bad guy good cop bad cop right yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Great advice. Absolutely great advice. It's preserving relationships, right? Like 100%.
1: Don't,
0: just don't fire off missiles you don't need to shoot. It's yeah, it's such a critical thing. And and I, I know Julie you're you're still there, right? So when when did the transaction right. when did the transaction happen?
1: So it did happen 6 years ago. And me staying on is very, I know it's very unusual. So immediately two exited and then one stayed on as the GM. One of my partners stayed on as the GM for maybe three years um, and then decided that she wanted to do other things. Um, you know, a few lessons I will say around that. For me, it's been no problem. I have been, I was not involved at all like so much operationally. I was always like the company spokesperson. I was writing. I do PR. I do a lot of media. I do all that stuff. Um, so I was kind of out just kind of being the voice and face of Mabel. I mean, obviously I was still making big management decisions and that sort of thing, but it's not like I was making labels or supervising people who are making labels. So I think the people who were more involved operationally had a harder time because suddenly, you know, now we have a GM who's our partner and she doesn't need us at all the meetings, you know, and a lot of people have a hard time. um, You know, there's ego with this stuff too, right? And, and the, and that's, so I think, you know, that can be, that could be tricky. Um There's, there's I I see this with other entrepreneurs too and I did I I did feel like I saw it with one of my business partners and she actually has talked about this about how she kind of defined herself by being a Mabel's Labels co-founder like it was her identity so when we sold she didn't really know how she identified meanwhile she had three kids she had lots of other talent she has lots going on but she really had like a an identity crisis so I do advise entrepreneurs to remember you're entrepreneurs but you're other things too and don't lose sight of that so that you don't have this kind of crisis when you exit your business. You're more than that.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah, your business is still an asset at the end of the day. It's not you, right? And right.
1: And you know uh, what? We We've done great without them. You yeah. know, like yeah. that's the thing. And you want your business as a business owner. I want to be able to get hit by a bus tomorrow and know that my business is not going to be impacted, you know, yeah. and that everything's, and that's the key to running a good business. So you should be delighted when you can walk away from your business and it succeeds. But you do want to put things in place to make sure it's successful because you still care.
0: Of course. Yeah. You need, yeah. you still need to have some, still your
1: baby. In- yeah.
0: 100%. Uh, 100%. So, yeah.
1: How long did it take
0: to get the deal done? From from when Avery first reached out to you to hey deals close, you've been paid. What, You're going to be shocked. For? You're <laughs> going to be I shocked. It won't
1: be. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, you'll have to let me know. So we had that dinner in July. We closed end of December same year. Okay, no, it's that's, pretty
0: yeah, yeah, it's that pretty is
1: fast. yeah,
0: that is pretty fast. Look, yeah, I, I, I've seen some crazy stuff, like or heard crazy yeah. stuff too. You know, like I I yeah. had a chap on here um recently. Who sold his company to BlackBerry for 150 million bucks over a cup of coffee? It just like went bang yeah, right. bang bang. Literally, it was yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, yeah. how the hell do you do a deal like that so quick? So, yeah. but, but I actually don't think that's real. And so that's so out of the norm. That it's I, so out I, of the I, norm. Yeah, and I have to say it on the show is don't have that expectation because you, no. you know deal fatigue is a real thing, and people do get frustrated enough. And, and they, I've seen so deals implode because people have little mini breakdowns in the middle of them. So, oh my god. Yeah, when you so much, Simon,
1: so much. Mm. Yes, it's (laughs) and like this is the thing too. Like, people, business owners are left at the altar constantly. Do not tell anyone what's going down. Do because I mean, often, you know, I did not say anything until that money was in my account on New Year's Eve. Say nothing. Um, There, there's that. Like that being left at the altar is a real a real, um, a real thing. And you need to, yeah. And the other thing for us, which was really hard was because CCL is a publicly traded company. We, well, we couldn't say anything anyways, because it would be insider trading. So what felt ugly for us, Simon, was that we are really tight and transparent with our staff. Like we are big corporate culture people. And you know, when they came in to do due diligence, we pretended we were having a tax audit. Like it felt so gross. I had to come home and shower every night. I hated lying to them. <laughs> it's just yeah. not how we did things. So that was tough. But on the day that we told them and it was hitting, you know, the news and everything, um, we had a mandatory meeting, which obviously they're all like, what the heck? Cause we never do things like that. It feels so patriarchal mandatory meetings. We never. <laughs> you know, do that. So, uh, we had this mandatory meeting, which was just not part of our culture. And, um, we actually got a coach, uh, to come in and teach the four of us how to deliver the message because, your staff team would be like your kids when you tell them you're getting a divorce your kids are like where am i going to live? You got 30 seconds. Where am i going to live? I'm going to do i have to switch schools? Who what what, what like what's it going to look like? Your staff's the same. How does it affect me? Do i still have my job? So we delivered the message in such a professional scripted way and i would also advise getting coaching around that. Um in both those scenarios, <laughs> um just so that you can get that message clear and out and we said two things to them. We gave them all coffee shop gift cards and said whatever we are doing, the four partners, if you're having a moment, you got your gift card, we will go for a coffee with you. If we don't know the answer to one of your questions, we will find out as soon as possible. And that in times of, of scariness and change, we don't turn on each other. We turn to each other. Yep. And with that, we, um, yeah, it, we it, it went very it went very smoothly. Our staff team. I was really afraid, and once somebody stood up and said, "Way to go, girls! You did this!" and they all stood up and clapped. And we were just like, "Ah, yeah."
0: No, congratulations, Julie. Honestly, like I'm, I almost feel like a broken record saying this to clients on this show, to my kids. It's not what you do; it's how you do it. It's okay to have yes. difficult conversations if you do it in the right way, and and I, I'm constantly talking to both by the, by the way buyers and sellers when we're facilitating a deal to say how you manage the message from here is going to be critical. It will determine whether this deal is actually a success for you or not. Us getting a deal here and signing a paper and you paying money, that's, that's actually only half the deal, right? The rest of it yes. is ensuring that the rest of it happens well. And you know, I keep saying people, we're all on a bell curve, right? In terms of how we respond. When a deal goes down, at one extreme, people will literally think the sky's falling on their heads. We're all going to get fired. This is the worst possible thing in the world. And at the other end, there's always going to be like one or two little souls who go, "Ooh, change equals opportunity. This is exciting. Newer, bigger operation. Operation." Right. And then most of us are in the middle, kind of going, "I really don't know what's going to happen. So I'll kind of zip my button and just, you know, zip it up and wait and see, you know." But for sure, I love what you've done here. And a so, and here's the takeaway for everyone listening: get some coaching around this stuff, right? Like, 100%. unless you. Yeah, unless you feel like you're an expert in uh, mergers and acquisitions and integrations, get some coaching on how to manage that stuff because it will pay dividends to you. And and two, just understand that that bell curve thing, right? People are going to react differently and in unexpected ways.
1: And so get coaching around that as well. Um, And then the other thing I got coaching in was – I got, we hired some PR help because I thought, what if they're all like, oh, look at the four moms, they're sellouts or, oh, now they've been acquired. And so I got some speaking points around that. I was ready for press. I was ready for like on Facebook. I was ready for all of it. And you know what? I never had to use it, but I felt equipped and I felt ready to to deal with any of the naysayers or any of the negativity. And I had spin and I had, but they all were just like, way to go. So I I felt that good that I had that in my back pocket. I didn't need it, but it was worth it just for my confidence.
0: It's insurance, right? You always you got hope it. you don't need it you want to have it. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, exactly. Uh, the other thing, cool. yeah, the other thing I did want to mention too, because you asked about um, like whether we'd plan to sell and we didn't but. At the same time, I will say we were very good about keeping our housekeeping in order. So nothing was discovered in due diligence. So I talked about when they came in and we put it in with we had the tax audit, but we had all our employment records. We had all of our paperwork work. You know, things can get lost in due diligence. So keep your house in order, people. So that due diligence goes smoothly and you don't lose anything. You don't want to leave anything on that table. I'm sure you've said that a thousand times, Simon.
0: No, but it's that's why I do this podcast because yeah. it's better that they hear it from you yeah. and not con- con- People continue. walk away from I, I deals, to-
1: right? People walk away from deals and due diligence.
0: They do. And yeah. I'm going to paraphrase what you just said there because to me, this is one of the golden rules of M&A and that is no surprises. Yes. Right? No surprises. Yep. And that means not only are you transparent with the buyers but Man, when you are getting ready, talk to your advisors. If you've got a little niggly thought in the back of your head about something, then you put it on the table and we talk because no buyer expects a perfect business. Right. But if you haven't thought about something and have at least show them you've considered this particular issue and you have an answer for it, you're not gonna look good.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly right. And also my other advice would be, sorry, I, I realized once I'm talking about it, I have so much to say about it, but I think you also need to it. take care of your personal finances. Like our accountant a few years before we sold was like, okay, gals, you know what? You guys are at the 10 year mark or 11 year mark. You, Some of you might want changes in the next few years. So let's set up trust funds for the kids. Let's set yeah. up uh, holding companies because you wanna, I mean, Look, I'm in Canada. I pay a lot of taxes. I have no problem to pay my taxes, all that jazz. But you want to do things that make financial sense, right? So you want to have places yeah. to put your money. If you have a big financial gain, you want to have, make sure you have a holding company and, and a trust fund set up just so that you can, or whatever is available, talk, have an accountant you love and you trust.
0: Yeah. hundred yeah. percent, a- right? It's managing your tax and protecting your assets. And if you 100%. haven't got a good accountant yeah. talking about that stuff, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, Julie. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. I just, I like <laughs> it. I, a million more questions I could ask you but because I know that you're a very busy person. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about what's happening today. I know you're still at the business. Yeah. I mean, yep. I, I think that's a testament to you, by the way. And I think any employees who are still there would go, you know what? They were right. They, they were here for the right reasons and they, you know, did the right journey. So I'd take my hat off to you for that. But do you, where's, what's the future look like? Are you thinking other businesses? Like, you know, yeah.
1: so I've always got a few like little things on the go on the side, but really like what mm-hmm. I'm doing is I do a lot of professional speaking and I do a lot of media stuff. Um, I did, you know, during COVID, um, the lockdown, a lot of, a lot of people were picking up side hustles and I've had on my agenda do a book for a long time. And I figured, okay, I'm not flying anywhere I'm not speaking anywhere. I'm not at conferences. I'm not, I'm grounded. So I thought, if I don't write the book now, uh, when will I? So I wrote the book uh, and became a bestseller. And it's all good. I'll leave it. I've got one here. I'll hold it up. Ba, 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 beautiful ba, 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 That's ba. Cool. and it's called like um like a mother birthing businesses babies and a life beyond labels and it's full of my life hacks business hacks parenting hacks um so if anyone wants to pick That's it, it up obviously you can just go to my site which is Mableslabels.com slash julie cole and all my stuff's there so i'm in my media my blah blah all our socials you name it
0: well, I'm going to put those links in the show notes so that awesome. people can go and check that out. I think that book sounds amazing. Um, I think I've I've got so many other mumpreneurs that I know that are friends of mine who are yeah. going to be listening to this and probably want to reach out to you as well. So um, are you okay if people connect with you on LinkedIn and that sort of stuff?
1: 100%. 100%. And you know what? Awesome. I actually have some cousin-in-laws, two sisters who are from... Um, I uh, from Burman which is near Wayne Greta and they started a company years ago not long after I started Mabel's labels where for it was also a mom business and it was where they engrave uh, kids names on jewelry and oh, it's nice. called oh my gosh they've done so well Stacy and Lisa O'Keefe um and they are called oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh ah, the station is named after the station she lives on. Oh my gosh, she's going to kill me for not remembering. Oh, I suck. Anyway.
0: That's right. It'll come come to you after we hang up and stop recording, of course. You know,
1: yeah. um, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, please let them know. We'd love to have them on the show and talk about them. Uh, I love good homegrown Australian growth stories. I mean, they don't have to be Australian. Kooliman. Kooliman. Kooliman.
1: Kooliman. (laughs) Kooliman. Yes, that's it. That's what the jewelry company is called. Okay, get that link and put it in your show notes. Yeah, they're amazing. They've done so well so yeah, well, yeah. cool
0: cool well listen love to uh, we'd love to have a look at that so yeah. um Julie can I ask you one final question if I could um, will allow it g- given your experience given everything that's happened I mean no doubt you you're not the same person today that you were when you started Mabel's Labels right you can't be but it's h- how do you define success now
1: you know what? There's a there's a Maya Angelou quote that kind of resonates with me, and it's success. Uh, success is defined by, you know, what you do, how you do it, and how much you like it, or something like that. And really, that's that's me. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I don't take myself too seriously. You know, this is. Um, we're not we're here for a good time, not a long time. You know, keep leave the ego at the door. And as my my grandma lines have this great old grandma, she died a few years ago at 101. And she believed in having a lot of self-confidence and also staying humble. And she'd say to me, yeah. to me, and Oliver, she's one of 21 Irish kids. She'd say to me, Julie, you're as good as the rest of them and better than none. I remember it always.
0: <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Yeah, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your story with us. It's been great. I've I've been tapping away, writing lots of little notes here oh, to uh, to share with everybody. <laughs> so I think it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. So thank you again.
1: I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Simon.
0: And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buy, Grow, Cell Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And join us again next week for our next episode. Thanks for joining. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.